The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Good morning, everyone. Uh, we're reading beginning in Acts 21:37, and then through um, through Acts 22. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as jealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately, because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, 
Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who, withdrew, uh, those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was armed when he realized, was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. May God bless the reading of his word. I feel like with such a short composite time when Luke is trying to tell his good friend Theophilus all about what he's researched and what he's found, for some reason he has chosen in this letter that we call Acts to share Paul's testimony three times. Acts 9, Acts 22, and we will be getting to Acts 26. And it's almost like he's copied and pasted these sections into his letter on three different occasions. Well, I can only make one assumption. By the time we get to the third telling, I think Luke wanted his friend to be able to say it from heart. Okay, I I don't know why else he would feel like, because could he not just say, well, um, Paul stood up again and shared his story of coming to know Jesus Christ? Could he not just say Paul stood up and shared his Damascus Road experience? Or Paul stood up and shared how he used to kill Christians and now he's now preaching to them. And he used to hate Gentiles because he was a Pharisee and now he's going out and telling Gentiles to be included. Why does he have to go back and let Paul say it over and over again? Um, I believe for each one of us in here today, like we've been talking about now for almost four weeks, I think this is the fourth time I've said this or some variation of it is you and I have to get confident with Jesus being Lord. And we also need to grow in our confidence of how we can share our hope that we've found in Jesus Christ. A lot of us are grateful for our salvation. We can, we can process it in our minds, but when we actually then are given the opportunity to say the name of Jesus to somebody, many times we shut down, we quiver, we don't know what to say. And so today, I'm going to say something different than I said to you last week. Last week, I told you that the majority of us in here don't need to use Paul as an example because not everyone in this room is called to go to all of the world and tell everybody about Jesus Christ. Like Paul had a very unique calling to go by boat, to go by land, to go from village to village to village all across the Turkish region, all the way over to trying to get to Rome. He was, that was his mission. But the majority of us are going to probably end up landing in one place for a significant period of time. And so a lot of the story of Paul and Acts, I don't necessarily think that we need to go mimic. But this we must. We have got to be able to tell people why we have found our hope in Jesus Christ. If we are comfortable in just coming to church, if we are comfortable in just worshiping and raising our hands and singing, those are all great things. But at the end of the day, obedience to Jesus is us actually saying his name to other people. Is that, that could be you on the way to work, on the bus, sitting next to somebody. That could be you with somebody that is in your life in work, that you've developed a relationship through work. But if we have multiple interactions with people and they are never curious about our faith, then there's something wrong with our relationship with what Jesus has done for us. 
Because if we truly understand what Jesus has done for us, that is what is called good news. And I think it's not just good news for us, it's good news for other people. And so it's also kind of come to my attention in several different ways in the last couple weeks, the way that people listen to my teachings, um, or any teaching for that matter. And something that many times is meant to encourage turns out to be discouraging. Something that's meant to build up feels like it tears down. And a lot of times that might be a, a poor communication on my part. I would also think at times it's the way you tune in and tune out while I'm teaching. Like, can we just be honest? Like, sometimes you're out there thinking, like, I don't know. How many of you had a thought about the Super Bowl since you've been here today? Right? Right? Exactly. That's not the distraction today. Uh, I just know that it won't be a distraction tomorrow either. Um, but here's the situation for us is that if we don't listen well, then we're going to miss the point. And so part of what I want us to, to understand today is that everything I'm about to say to you is not meant to guilt or shame you. Everything that we're going to talk about today is not meant to make you think that you're not measuring up. It is to encourage us to keep pressing forward. It's like, so if you've never shared your faith in Jesus Christ with anybody, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that we're able to have a conversation. But my goal as a minister today is then to encourage us to maybe lean into that a little bit this week. Not out of a sense of guilt or shame, but just as a sense of I'm growing up. I'm getting more mature. I'm now more aware that I need to talk about Jesus. It's not something that should be discouraging. It's like me as as a teenager. I look forward to getting my learner's permit. I look forward to getting in the car with my mom and my dad, more my dad, um, and practicing driving because it was a fun experience. Like I got a chance to work it out. And then it was, I can, I can remember the first time my dad threw me the keys and said, okay, son, you go to the grocery store. I can remember that moment. I was excited about growing up in my responsibilities. And it should be the same way that we come to and leave church. It's like, wow, this is the next step of maturity for me. I can now move forward with this. I want to go back to a verse that Leon taught on Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. In Acts 20, verse 31, his words to the elders, which were words to the elders to continue to pass on to the disciples in the church, it wasn't just for them, it was for them to be good stewards of it towards other people so that they could continue to mature. And he says in verse 31, keep watch, stay awake, be alert. I command you to God and to the word of his grace. God and his grace will see you through. He's encouraging them to to live with their eyes wide open to their faith. Not just on the day that they gather, but every day of their life. And I think that that's something that we all need to continue to mature in. And then last week, as we were talking through this, I, I shared three things with us as we went through Acts 21. Paul was confident, and I think you and I can have a sense of confidence. I also shared with us that we need to be careful how we give prophecies. Like today, I know the Lord told me to say something to one of you, so watch out. I'm coming for you after the sermon's over. But I'm bringing witnesses because I know that the Lord says that many times when the Lord gives us something for somebody else, we've got to share it in company with other people so that the Spirit can bring agreement. And we've got to be careful because some of us are well-intentioned sharing our thoughts and we discourage one another from our faith in Jesus. Like, oh, wow, you're going to go to work and share your faith? Well, you know, if you do that, you might get a bad rap in your employee profile. And then you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't. And then you start getting discouraged rather than people building you up. And so we've got to be careful to measure the weight of our words to one another. And we've got to learn to continue to grow in our gifts of prophecy towards one another, but properly interpret it. 
And then the other thing that I talked about last week, I don't know if any of you, any of you challenged in this area this past week where people um, that you love falsely accused you of something? I mean, I don't know if any of you felt that. You might not even love them. It might be a coworker or somebody in your life, but they falsely accused you and you just felt the pain of that. I mean, we've got to continue to understand that we've got to love our enemies and we also have to love our family, right? And sometimes it's interchangeable, right? Sometimes it's difficult when people you love, people you care about, say the wrong things, or sometimes they say the right things in a hurtful way, and we've got to continue to grow in our love. And that has laid the foundation for now Paul going to Jerusalem and now having to stand up to a crowd of people that had just loved him well, right? Did this crowd love him? No. What had they literally just done to this poor man? They had flogged him. And if that's a biblical word you may not understand, is they literally gave him a public beating. Like they probably kicked him, punched him, grabbed him, pulled him. His clothes were probably disheveled or maybe even taken from him. And if it wasn't for the fact that the Romans got to him quickly enough, Paul would probably be dead. And as he's now been drugged to this place of imprisonment, he turns to the prison guard and says to the prison guard, hey, can I talk to the people that just flogged me? I I want them to understand. What an incredible example to us of how much we should be passionate and driven towards people that even have the physical attempt to harm us. It's a difficult place to be. I could not imagine being Paul and experiencing that and then immediately turning with love to say, you obviously beat me, but you you, you misunderstood, so I'm now going to try to help you understand He didn't hold the beating against himself, against them. And there's so much in this that I won't take time to go through today because you you can really literally read his testimony and understand it. So I'm going to give you my last three questions, and then I'm going to come back through the teaching. This is what I want you to see out of the teaching today. Have you discovered that it's Jesus? When you read Paul's testimony, everything about his life, He was studying the scriptures. He came from a family of people that studied the scriptures. He was constantly on the lookout for the Messiah. He was devout to his faith. He was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. Everything about his education was pushing him and pushing him and pushing him to want to know God. And when he saw God the fullest, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. And so this is what I want to say to all of us in here today based upon Paul's testimony. Some of you are searching and you're searching and you're reading and you're learning and you're striving to understand who God is. And I promise you, you can take a short trip to the end of that journey because it is Jesus. Everything you're looking for, every advice counselor you're going to, every person that's authoring books to help you understand yourself or to understand other people, the hope of our life The point of it all is Jesus, and that's what Paul is saying to them. In in Jewish terms, in talking about walking through his history and his lineage and all the things that he had and the rights that he had and all the things that he had gone from a persecutor to a preacher, as he was sharing all that with them, he was sharing with them, you know what, but I finally met the Messiah. Many of you have met the Messiah. He is alive. He spoke directly to me, and he's sharing it with great intensity. And I think for many of us in this room today, my question to you is, have you discovered that the answer to what you are studying for, looking for, and looking through from life is Jesus Christ? 
And then the second thing is, is does our testimony prove our citizenship? I mean, it is most likely in Luke's writing style, and it feels this way as you go through his testimony, that Luke um, was almost in many ways giving Paul what would be like a passport. Like when you travel internationally, how do you prove that you're a U.S. citizen the easiest? Isn't to pull out a driver's license or your birth certificate, but it's to get that nasty blue little booklet out, right? That has this U.S. passport with your picture on it that, that you're just like, how in the world can this ugly picture of me accurately get me into an embassy or back into the airport, right? It's like they look at this picture like that can't be you, right? Especially if you've had your passport for seven to ten years and life has done its work, you know? It's, you just are looking at this passport and you're like, there was a token, that a Roman citizen could carry, especially if they were the type that the, um, uh, the, 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 the tribune guy was holding over. He says he bought his citizenship. So Rome allowed for people to pay in. But there was also a time under some of the Caesars where if Jewish people fought alongside Roman soldiers, they were granted citizenship. It was about 100 years before Paul. There was an opportunity for many Jewish people to actually get a Roman citizenship by that. And so we don't really know how Paul's parents or grandparents and all that became. But when Paul says, no, wait a minute, I am a citizen by birth. Somebody had done it in his life years before. Because he couldn't be a Jew of all Jews and be a Pharisee and claim Roman citizenship unless something had happened in his life. And it's very likely that Paul, in his garment, had that token of citizenship. And so he was saving it because it wasn't going to do him any good in the crowd. That's why he spoke to them in a language that they understood. That's why I was joking a little bit ago with Lana about speaking Russian or German or whatever language she could speak from the stage, is that sometimes the best thing for you to do is to stand up and speak the language of the people that you're present with, right? Um, I know that I have got to have a more diligent effort in speaking Spanish because I have an opportunity to be around Spanish-speaking people all the time, and it grieves me when I can't communicate. So Wednesday night, our Patterson church family this week has been praying every night this week at their facility and holding these prayer times. So Wednesday night, I went and sat with two of my brothers that I've gotten to know, and only one of them speaks English, the other one doesn't. And it was interesting because one of the elders in the Patterson church had actually said, let's break down into small groups. And I was sitting with a group of Spanish-speaking people. And they automatically assumed that I was going to get up and go pray with the English-speaking people on the other side of the room um, because I could tell by their posture that they started to just gather up. And I just scooted over close. And they looked at me and smiled, and I looked at them and smiled. And all I said was, I know you're not going to understand me, and I'm not going to understand you, but we're going to pray together. And I don't know if they understood that. I do know that we ended up praying together and we cried together and we were praying in different languages, but I was sitting here thinking about this passage this week and I would have loved in that moment to just been able to bring a calming voice and say, here's the language that I know that you can connect with. And so when Paul started speaking to the crowd and they started to quiet down more and more and more because he was speaking a language that meant he was a brother. That's why he says to them, some of you are my brothers, some of you are my father's because he was commissioned by many of them in the crowd to go do horrendous things against Christians, against the way, as Paul referred to it. And so here, Paul 
is beginning to talk about, and I'm doing a play on words here because for those of us that believe in Jesus, where is our citizenship? In heaven, right? Where's, where's the father? Right, so ultimately dad is expanding his kingdom and we're all citizens of his kingdom. And so how then with our coworkers, our families and our neighbors, could you articulate and prove your citizenship? I mean, that's not meant to be guilt. I'm not trying to shame us in saying that. I'm just saying the reality is if we're claiming to be a part of our father's family, then we need to be able to tell people why. There's got to be something that we can at least say to other people or to show other people that is proof that we are a part of God's kingdom. I came out of a very independent Bible-believing tradition And one of the things that is valued in that tradition is when you pray to receive Jesus, they give you a Bible with the date in it. And I was able to pass that gift on to my son. My mom had actually saved that Bible and had it rebound, and I was able to give it to my son not too long ago. And and inside of it is the date of January the 11th. Um, I won't say the year. Um, (laughs) But uh, I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. and uh, But yet, if somebody ever questioned my faith in Jesus, do I need to go get the Bible to show them? No. What is the best way for me to let people know that I believe in Jesus? By my testimony, by my actions. When people look at me, do they read Christ? Do I prove my citizenship through my words? Yes. Through my actions? Yes. Is it a combination of both? Yes. And so that's why it's important that we guard our testimonies. Um, some of you follow me on social media, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be transparent with you. This might cause some of you to look for another church. Um, it was nice knowing you. We do have dinner or lunch before you go, so at least have a last meal on us. Can't you smell it? It's like, I just want to speed up my sermon and get to that aroma. Um, but testimony is important. Uh, some of you follow me on social media and you saw that I posted a picture of my son being hit in the back in a hockey game well after the whistle was blown. And, and so the official was allowing this activity for the whole game. So we're down to the last four minutes of the game. And this guy takes his stick up between my son's legs um, right in front of the net and then causes him to, to stumble. And when my son was pulling on his stick to get up, he slammed him down to the ice. And then the official puts my son in the box which is called the sin bin in hockey, if you're ever familiar with that. Um, I wasn't at my best. So the official skated by the glass where I was to get ready, and I said something to him. I didn't use any profanities. Um, I did use a word that I don't want children to use. I basically said his his officiating sucked, and that he was going to get our kids hurt if he didn't change the way he officiated. So he immediately turned and said, you need to leave the building. Um, and so I got ejected from my son's hockey game. And so my son, and please don't condone this. People laughing. If you're listening to my podcast, this is a vile thing for me to do. All right. And so the, uh, my son is in the penalty box and I have to leave the building or my son's team has to forfeit. So anytime a parent gets ejected, if you insist on staying in the arena, you have to forfeit. Um, and so the official stood by the coach and said, until that parent leaves, um, you're, 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 the game's forfeit. So I, had to, I, mean, I didn't argue with him. As soon as he told me to leave, I immediately left because I didn't want to draw any more attention to myself. But then my son realizes that it was me. <laughs> and he's in the box saying, that's my dad, that's my dad. And 
I'm like, yeah, you're clapping, but it's so bad. It's so bad. Because we're taking the team picture because it was the game to win the conference um, season. And so at the end of the game, they're doing a team picture. And I, so I had to go back in to get the, to see the team photo. And then my son and all of his friends are like, yeah, preacher got kicked out. I'm like, oh, it's so bad. So bad. And so does our testimony prove citizenship? I probably took some serious steps back with Caleb's teen parents um, in some ways. Some of them were like, yeah, I like that preacher, you know? And then others were probably like, oh, man, if that has anything to do with Jesus, do I really want to be a part of that? You know, so now i got to go back and figure out where the pieces are and set things up because when I was placed in a hostile environment, I didn't let the light of Christ shine. I was caught up in a sporting event, which some of you are like, it was a sporting event, no big deal. But it's still people know that what I do. They know who I am. They know what I claim to be a part of. And, and it's like, so I can't act that way on a Friday and then get up here on Sunday and say, hey, your testimony's got to ring true of Jesus because it's got to ring true of Jesus all the time. And, but yet when we make mistakes, then how do we then show our citizenship by how we respond? That's why the Sermon on the Mount is so important about how we show love, how we seek forgiveness, how we don't quit, we keep working as peacemakers, we keep striving. So much of it that's important. The third part of this testimony of this chapter, I love the fact that Paul was determined. There's a sense to that word that's deeper than what's easy. When you accomplish a task, it's one thing. But when you're determined to accomplish a task, I think that's a whole nother level. Because many times, a lot of us only get to a point of where the easy road goes because of your talents or your abilities. Things are kind of easy. Like for me, as a white male in America, there's certain things for me that are much easier than people that might be a different color skin or from a different place. And, and so I could go the easy route or I could go the determined route. I could go after some things that might be difficult or hard or cause me to suffer, but determined choices are the hard choices, are the, the things that require effort, that requires thought, requires us seeking wisdom. It, it requires us having a prayer life. It requires us pressing through. And, and when you look at the things that Paul is dealing with here, I love the fact that he was showing a determination to convince the centurions of his citizenship. He showed determination to speak to the crowd when he was probably bloody and beaten and in many ways probably laid bare in, in his physical components towards the audience. So much was stacked against him, but he was determined for them to see that how he had devoted his life to God and he saw Jesus as the Messiah. And unless we were Jewish people, we probably really don't understand the, 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 the gymnastics mentally of how big of a deal that was and why the crowd turned on a dime as soon as he, like they're listening intently, but as soon as he said, yeah, I was sent to the Gentiles. Why is it as soon as he said the word Gentiles that the crowd immediately turned with a violent and ferocious turning? Like as soon as he started speaking to them in a language that they felt like he was family, they were like quieting down and were like kind of like, okay, okay, we're following, we're tracking with you, we do remember you. We do remember that now. But as soon as he said something about Gentile inclusion, the crowd just immediately flared back up again. And when we begin to understand 
what it would have been like for a Jewish audience to believe in Jesus, then it gives us a moment to say, wow, Paul was an incredible example. I think he gets a bad rap on many occasions because of the way that people interpret him and to interact with him. But when you look at his life of education and his testimony and the way that he spoke and the reason why Luke includes it the way that he does is pretty spectacular. So I am looking at an audience of people, my brothers and sisters, that are very talented. You're very gifted. Many of you are on an incredible trajectory in your life to do great things for other human beings. But I love this quote by N.T. Wright about Paul. He says this, and I think I have this on a slide, but I didn't give him credit in my notes, so just if you find it, throw it up. Paul was well qualified for the work God had had for him. A Jew of the strictest pedigree and highest biblical training, a Greek speaker and thinker thoroughly at home with the world of ancient philosophy and rhetoric, and a Roman citizen who knew his rights under the law and was determined to use them as necessary. Let me just ask this of you. Do you know what your rights are in Jesus Christ? Do you even know what your rights are as a citizen of the United States of America? Do you even know what your rights are with the visa you're here on in America? You need to know what your rights are because it's all a resource. Your life experiences and the documentation that you have comes with some sort of currency with people. Every part of who we are adds some kind of value to people. So when I get together at my mom's house with my brother and his family and gather with him, just by being a blood relative to my mom comes with a sense of responsibility. There's certain things that I have the right as a son to participate in my family. Am I being a good steward of that? By us being here this morning and being the pastor of the church, I have certain rights that I've been given to do what I'm doing right now. And are we, Am I being a good steward of this time with you? Just like I can go through things in my own life, you can go through things in your own life. We all are given a life story with circumstances and provisions and talents and gifts and all the different things that we could come up with on a list of things that make you you. That is a resource for you to tell people about the hope that you found in Jesus Christ. To be able to map out for them all the ways in which Jesus has shown himself faithful to you. I love the way that Paul convinced the Roman guards I believe that there are people in your life that are like the Roman guards. Not that they are beating you, but are watching you and inquisitive of you. They're listening to what you say, they're watching what you do, and they're determining some things. Let's go back to the three things that are on that um, questions. For those of you that have not yet placed your trust in Jesus Christ, let me ask you, have you discovered that every answer to every question is Jesus? And for those of you in here today, can we share our testimony of our citizenship in the kingdom of God. And then as a church family, what's our level of determination? Like on a scale of one to 10, one being like lazy, Netflix watching seven days a week, um, and 10 being I'm going to read, I'm going to study, I'm going to invite people over, I'm going to invest my life. Like where are we in our determination factor of seeing the people in our life come to know Jesus Christ? I would love for us to follow Paul's example in determination. Let's pray. Father, as we get ready to eat, I just want to say, Father, I thank you for the aroma of food that is filling this space. Um, Father, I know that there are people... In-